0: Welcome! You are listening to Passing the Peace, featuring Amy Meyer and Nancy McCraney. Passing the Peace is a podcast with a progressive look at faith, religion, God, the Bible, and some other stuff. If you're listening right now, it only takes a few clicks to help us out by subscribing to the podcast, giving us a review, and you might even consider sharing it with someone else who might be interested. Nancy and I want to dedicate this episode to the strong women in our lives who have supported us in our journeys. And there are many women who fit that description, but there are two women in particular who have done that in amazing and grace-filled ways. And those two women are our moms. Today we are featuring a sermon that had a lot of things going on and had a lot of people talking. So I'm going to start by letting you listen in to this little piece of the conversation that I had with Nancy about how that all got started and where the idea came from.
1: So it was Reformation Sunday. Yes. And you chose, for the first time that I can remember since you've been here, to talk about something other than uh, one of our reformers, one of our forefathers. Yeah. In the Reformed tradition. And I've always loved those sermons, but it struck me that this was a departure. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what led you to that decision?
0: It just occurred to me that I had never done a woman before. And I just decided that I wanted to do a woman uh, or to focus on a woman. And I don't know what exactly led me to Mary Magdalene, but I'd been thinking about her a lot. And I decided to do Mary Magdalene. And then after I decided to do Mary Magdalene, that's when I heard about Beth Moore and her detractors. Right. And so that sort of lit the flame.
1: Mm-hmm. And I would say, listening, it was a really powerful sermon. I could feel inside of it a lot of passion, a lot of anger, mm-hmm. some pain, mm-hmm. um, outrage. And I felt all those things with you. Mm-hmm. And it brought up for me a lot of experiences and memories Mm -hmm. and feelings Mm -hmm. and thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a a courageous move and, and a timely one.
0: You're going to hear some of Nancy's personal experiences and stories and thoughts as we go along, but let's begin by just jumping right in. So sometimes I forget that there are people in the world who believe that I should not be standing behind this pulpit because of my gender. It's not something that I ever questioned because I was raised in a denomination that has ordained women as ministers of word and sacrament since before I was born. I was baptized in 1975 by a female pastor. The church that we attended when I was in high school growing up had a female pastor. I have just always lived in a world where women can preach. It's never been something that I questioned. And so sometimes I forget that there are people out there who live in another world. And actually, if you think about all the Christians in the whole world, it's the majority of them. And they live in a world where women cannot preach. And so sometimes I forget. It's not like I have amnesia or something, and I just, every time, I'm like, But temporarily, for a second, it takes me off guard. So, for example, when someone says to me, my father thinks that I'm going to hell because I attend a church with a female pastor, or when someone says, I'm not going to the ministerial alliance meeting because they allow female pastors to attend. It's not that I have total amnesia every time it happens. It's just that sometimes it takes me off guard and I just have to remind myself, oh yeah, that's right. There are still people who live on that other planet called women cannot preach. So were you surprised at all as
1: you were preparing a sermon? That's my first question. And then as you were delivering it, I'm just so curious what that experience was like for you, for yourself, but also for the people that you observed listening.
0: Well, um, the surprise that came up leading up to Sunday was that I remembered and realized that we were gonna have two guests there in the church who aren't normally there. And they are um, leaders in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. One is a president and the other is a bishop. And when I realized, and it's not, I guess not that I realized, but that I remembered that the Sunday that they were gonna be there was that particular Sunday. I was worried that they were going to think that I prepared the sermon just to speak directly to them. So I called them both and I told them what it was going to be about. And I suggested that they come on a different Sunday (laughs) because I was worried um, that they were going to be offended. Right. But both of them said, no, they want to hear what I have to say. Okay. Okay. And that they would rather be there instead of switching. It was a little uncomfortable to have to have them there. I think for me, but also for them. Uh, yeah, I wondered about that. <laughs> yeah, but they were very—I um, want to say—gracious. And one of them even took a lot of notes during the sermon. Okay. And uh, they both said we learned a lot. <laughs> So I don't know. I think they're coming from such a different place. Maybe it planted a seed, but I don't know that it made a big change because one of them in my conversation with them prior to that Sunday was talking about how their church really does value women and women's leadership and the example that he gave, and very earnestly he gave the example that they have one of the largest women's organizations that there is, or that he knows of in the United States, and that they have this big women's organization and there are women who lead it. And I didn't say anything out loud, but if your example of how inclusive you are and how much you respect female leadership is a separate single gendered organization, then you're really coming from a different... <laughs> a different place. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, so I do think they they were pretty shocked to hear where I was come the place that I was coming from. Yeah, right. I think it was a, a new experience for them. But they seemed grateful for it.
1: Well, and I was impressed that it didn't sound to me at all like you diluted or softened. You, you were speaking from a place of... Of passion and strength mm-hmm. and conviction and so that I really admire that because <laughs> I think I would have been tempted to change my sermon mm-hmm. or soften it up a little bit so I wouldn't offend mm-hmm. and I think it takes a lot of strength and courage to just go ahead and say it and you grew up in the Presbyterian Church I did I loved hearing about that perspective I grew up in the Church of Christ hmm and so my experience was very different and A lot of it was unspoken, but internalized.
0: Yeah.
1: My dad was a Church of Christ minister, and I would say exceptional, in that he was always pushing for more conversation about the role of women. And he would encourage women in the church to read the text and have conversations and push the elders. And um, it eventually got him fired from a church Mm -hmm. he'd been at a long time. But it also... He encouraged me in this path probably more than anybody else in my life. Um, But I have physical, like, memories of Mm -hmm. being told, not by him, but by the boys in my youth group or other men in my life, that I was wrong, I was bad, I was going to go to hell. You know, all these terrible things that, especially when you're younger, it can yeah. sound really authoritative and definitive.
0: So. It is obviously so helpful to have Nancy as a conversation partner, especially since her experiences have been so different from mine in a lot of ways and yet so similar. And one of the things that I can tend to do, no matter who I'm talking with, is I can start to get into that mindset of thinking that those other planets, quote unquote, that that I was talking about are planets of the past. But that's not necessarily true. Some of those other planets are alive and well today. And we talk more about that when we come back. And the other planet has been getting a lot of media attention recently because their male hierarchy has been thrust into the spotlight. You may have heard that a well-known Southern Baptist pastor was speaking at a convention where he expressed his extreme disapproval of female preachers. Now, normally I don't actually pay much attention to what people are saying at Southern Baptist conventions, because that's the other planet and I'm usually living on my own planet. But this particular incident has gotten a lot of attention, so much attention that I've had many people reach out to me and ask me what I think about his statement. So I eventually caved in and I went online and I read about what happened. And it's really, it's too bad that I did, because now I'm angry. (laughs) And I'm so angry that I feel like I'm channeling my neighbor. I want to tell you about my neighbor. She does this great thing when she gets angry. So we've got this great neighbor. She lives across the street from us, and she does this wonderful thing when she gets angry. And I'll share just a little bit about her with you. She's She's a crazy mom of four kids, and I'm a crazy mom of two kids, and it's been just such a blessing to have her in our lives and and her family across the street from us, because our kids go to and from each other's houses, we look out for each other, whenever things are getting really tough with motherhood, she texts me and she checks in on me, she's really great, she's very funny, she even watches our cat sometimes when we're out of town. She's absolutely wonderful. And she calls our two kids her babies. And so if I'm ever, you know, saying something like, oh my gosh, you're not gonna believe what our daughter did yesterday, she'll say, what'd my baby do? (laughs) And so I'm channeling her today because like I said, she does this great thing when she gets mad. Whenever one of her kids does something that makes her very angry, and I mean, it's when they do something outrageous. It takes an outrageous act to get this reaction from her. She gets this look on her face. And she kinda, you know, kinda swings both arms at the same time, kind of down, like this. And she goes, Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. We're all gonna die today. <laughs> and that's where, that's where I'm at right now. We're all gonna die today. <laughs> I am that mad. What happened was this Southern Baptist pastor was speaking out against female preachers. And he was in a panel of people and they were supposed to respond with one or two words to whatever word Was given to them so for example if somebody gave one of them the word politics then that person was supposed to respond back with one or two words and so what happened was that this particular pastor was given the name Beth Moore and asked to respond to that name. Beth Moore is a popular female author and speaker in evangelical circles and she had the audacity to make some public comments I don't know maybe about a year or two ago um, about misogyny in the church and that did not go over well in a lot of her circles and so this particular pastor was pretty mad about it and so he was given the name Beth Moore and he responded with go home and the reaction of the crowd was laughter and applause Then once the applause died down, he elaborated and he said, There is no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher. Period. Paragraph. End of discussion. So I guess we're all going to die today. (laughs) I find myself in an interesting position here because although I have not read everything that Beth Moore has written, I've read some of the things, and I don't like everything that she has written. Uh, I fundamentally disagree with her theology. She's popular in the more conservative evangelical circles for a reason. And so, you know, there's some things that I really like of hers, but and then other times I, I really do not appreciate some of her interpretations of scripture and some of her theology and things like that. So I never considered the fact that I might be put in a position where I would want to defend Beth Moore. And I will say that the one thing I'm really glad about is that this controversy has brought to the forefront a problem in the Christian church. It's it's put a spotlight on a deep, dark problem in the Christian church that needs to be addressed. And this is the perfect day to address this problem because today is Reformation Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate the Reformation, a time in our church history when Martin Luther spoke out against some of the problems that he saw in the Christian church over 500 years ago. And because of him and the other reformers, the church changed. It reformed. And one of the slogans that came out of the Reformation is once, reformed, always reforming, according to the word of God. Once reformed, always reforming, according to the word of God. In other words, we are supposed to change. We're supposed to reform. And to do that, we need to look to the scripture. We need to study scripture. We need to try to understand what it meant in the context in which it was written, who the audience was, what it meant for them at that time. And we need to try to interpret that and what it means for our lives today. But according to this particular pastor who was speaking against Beth Moore, it doesn't matter how much you study scripture. He says there's no case you can make for a female preacher. Which makes me think that maybe he hasn't read the Bible. (laughs) Because if he had, then he would have read about Deborah, a strong female judge, who in Judges chapter four, verse four, is named as a prophet. Maybe he also overlooked the other female prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah's wife, Huldah, Noadiah and Miriam all named as prophets. And maybe he missed the fact that the book of Proverbs personifies wisdom itself as a woman. If he had ventured into the New Testament then he might have noticed that God chose to be born of a woman. If he read 2 Timothy, then he would have seen that Paul credited two women as the ones who passed their faith on to Timothy, mentors and teachers of the faith. If he had read the book of Philippians, then maybe he would have seen that Iodia and Syntyche were two women that Paul included as not his subordinates, but his co-workers, his co-workers in Christ. If he had read the book of Romans then he would have known that in chapter 16 Paul names a number of women in ministry including Phoebe who was a deacon who was his co-worker in Jesus Christ and Persis whom he describes as someone who has worked very hard for the Lord These are just some of the examples of things that we can find in scripture to support the idea of women in leadership roles in the church. Now, I know that there are still many other ways to make the argument for female preachers. There are still many other places in the Bible where you can find support for that. And I also know that there are some specific texts that have been cherry-picked out of the Bible and weaponized to keep women from being able to occupy the same roles that men have. But to address all of that would take a very long sermon series. And for now, I just want to briefly focus on exploring how we got from these examples of female leaders in the Bible to where we are today. Because interestingly enough, the very early church, the first couple hundred years of the Christian church, they had female leaders. They had female deacons and priests. There's a great book that's called When Women Were Priests. It's a it's a book about how women used to be priests. And it, it talked about how women really did fill these important roles in the early church movement. But it didn't last for a number of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons was a Roman influence. This was back when... Um, Churches were initially meeting in homes, and then they moved to more public places, and there was a Roman influence uh, of women not being able to speak in public places and be leaders like that. But that was not a Christian influence. That was a Roman influence. And then there was all kinds of lies and cover-ups and sabotage. One example of this is with a woman named Junia. In Romans chapter 16, verse seven, Junia is specifically identified as an apostle. Unfortunately, we didn't know about her for a long time because sometime in the late middle ages, the Bible scholars modified her name to make it sound like a man's name because they didn't want to have a female apostle in the Bible. Another example is one that I'm very excited to share today, and it's the example of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is important because her story is a big piece of the puzzle that helps to explain how and why we got to where we are today with so many people still living on that other planet or in that other world. Mary Magdalene is one of the most mentioned women in the New Testament, second only to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene was a faithful disciple of Jesus. She learned from Jesus. She traveled with Jesus. And it even says in Luke chapter 8 that she supported Jesus, and it says, out of her own means. She's not connected to a man. She's not Mary, the wife of John. She's Mary Magdalene, and she was with Jesus from very early in his ministry to the very end. Mary Magdalene is significant for multiple reasons. One of which is that Jesus was one of the only Jewish rabbis that even had female disciples. Jesus talked to women and taught women and included women all the time. The other rabbis never did that. I would even say he learned from women. That was not considered normal back then, but Mary Magdalene was a very important member of Team Jesus. And like I said, she was with him very early in his ministry and she stayed with him to the very end even after all the male disciples had left. There are four different stories in the Gospels about how the empty tomb of Jesus was discovered. Some of the details of those stories are different, but they all have one thing in common, and that is that they all name Mary Magdalene as being there. She was the first to witness the resurrection. And because of the story in the Gospel of John, where the risen Christ told her to go and tell the other disciples about the news of his resurrection, the early church writers gave her the title of the Apostle to the apostles. Mary Magdalene was an early example and a role model for women in the church, but not for long, unfortunately. Several hundred years after her death in the year 591, Pope Gregory the Great preached a sermon where he took some other women in the Bible and he melded their stories with the story of Mary Magdalene. So she soon became identified with these other unnamed women in the Bible, and she was eventually labeled as having been a prostitute. So, for example, Mary Magdalene is often misidentified as the woman who was caught in adultery. But if you actually go into John's Gospel and read that story, you'll see that that's not Mary Magdalene. Even if she was that woman, it shouldn't matter though. But the fact is, she was not that woman. She has been the victim of a centuries long smear campaign to discredit her as a church leader and to sabotage her influence on leadership roles for women in the church. And I think it's important to note that if you actually had a strong case against women in the pulpit or against female leaders in the church, then you wouldn't need to cover anything up or discredit anyone or lie about what's in the Bible. Those are the kinds of things that people do when they feel threatened. So I'm going to say something right now, please don't be too shocked or too surprised by this statement. If you're about to take a sip of water, don't, you might, you might spit it out. Here it is Some people have prejudices. It's true. And they use the Bible to support their prejudices. Get out of town. <laughs> so here's a couple of, of practical things or practical ways to think about this issue. Let's say, let's imagine if we had a man uh, in our church and this man is in a racial ethnic minority in the church. And we said to this man, you can do certain things in the church. You can hold certain positions in the church, but you can't ever hold these other certain positions, and it's because of the color of your skin. Sorry. We know that's not an appropriate thing to say because it's completely racist. And yet most of the Christians in the world think it's completely acceptable to say the exact same thing to a person because of their gender. And this is important. It's important because there are so many churches and institutions out there that have either rules in place or hierarchies in place that put women in a place that that is in some way lesser than the men or secondary to the men. And what happens when you are treated as if you are inferior is that you are more likely to start believing that you are actually inferior. And for the little boys who are growing up in those systems who are being taught that their female peers are somehow inferior to them, they're more likely to believe that those female peers are really inferior. And this happens in churches, but it trickles out into the world too. It's in the world. So I'm curious if you'll tell me a little bit more about your experience, because you had a really concrete experience as far as people were literally telling you to your face that you couldn't do what you wanted to do and felt called to do, right? Right. Yeah. How did you decide to move forward with seeking out what your path might be? I'm so thankful for
1: my dad in particular and my mom. But I think because my dad represented this sort of authority in the world that I grew up in, that male authority, I, at, for a time I felt I think I probably needed that to be able to move forward. And then my body physically was, I was having some serious health issues that were connected to this. Uh, anxiety that I couldn't, I couldn't do this thing that I felt with my whole being I was supposed to be doing. Hmm. So while I was at Abilene Christian um, and then I, so I had some health issues sort of related to my stomach and um, we couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Now I think, I I know it was just, I was suppressing all this life force Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, I was bleeding through my stomach Mm. um, really seriously. So then when I left Abilene Christian, I joined a mission team and I went to France. And I guess up to that point, I'd been somewhat sheltered by the family I grew up in and even the church I grew up in where I was, you know, the minister's only daughter. I have three brothers, but I was protected in a sense. I was appreciated. The The messages weren't overt there. They were covert for sure. Okay. Um, and I had internalized them. Mm-hmm. But when I went and served on this mission team, it was like running into a brick wall. Mm. And I had two male supervisors. And if I tried to answer a question and they thought I was getting a little bit too big for my britches. I I don't know. I mean, that's how it felt at the time. Mm -hmm. They would shut me down so fast in a way that was really humiliating in front of the whole team. Mm. And then when I was in seminary, I went went on this Reformation tour uh, with Dr. Paul. He was our church history professor. And it was a three-week tour. And I think it was my second year of seminary. So it was still kind of new. And even sort of still looking over my shoulder to see if anybody was going to take me down for mm. being in seminary mm-hmm. because i had friends that sat me down and said you've left the church mm. you need to come back to the church because you're going to a presbyterian seminary so i felt really mm. exposed and i and and vulnerable so i was on this reformation tour and we went to france and i thought well i'll go you know take a train and go see the people that i'd worked with on this mission team because i was fond of them i mean i'd lived among them and worked among them for about a year and um i when i was i visited them the visit was a little awkward and then they one of the supervisors took me back to to take a flight back to paris and meet up with my group and he had this that's when he sort of let me have it Hmm. that um i shouldn't follow the ways the wicked ways of my parents Hmm. and leave the church Um, I should definitely not go to seminary. He said, another word for that is cemetery. Um, and he said, you know, in the fullness of time, we're all equal, but not until you get to heaven while you're here on earth. Um, there are certain things you just can't do and being a minister is one of them. And I was speechless. I was heartbroken. And and I thought if I, if I start talking, I'll cry Mm -hmm. or I will say, things that I can't ever unsay, Mm -hmm. but I was so hurt that these were his last words to me and I might never see him again. And I never have seen him again. Mm. Uh, it was heartbreaking. And I, the next day, um, I shared with Dr. Paul, we were waiting for another flight or a train and I just said, you know, they think that I'm wrong and that I'm have removed myself from God's grace by being a Presbyterian, by wanting to be a minister And he looked at me, he was English, and he looked at me and he said, you know, this great English accent, I can't do it. But Mm -hmm. he said, the only people that are excluded are the ones that build fences to exclude others. Mm -hmm. In God's kingdom, no one is excluded. And that was just sort of what I needed to keep moving forward. So I think there were always people at just the right moment to say, no, no, it's okay. What you're hearing within yourself, what you're that call you're feeling, it's real. And mm-hmm. I one of the things I loved about the Presbyterian church is that it was so rigorous. I had to take exams, I had to go before committees, I had to preach sermons and write essays and because I wanted to be sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to just, you know, as had had been taught, just come from my own evil desires. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know that I was being confirmed every step along the way that, yes, this is a call. We believe it's from God and and you need to go forward. Mm-hmm. So I, I needed that. And so when my seminary students would complain about that, I kept quiet because I knew I wouldn't be popular if I said, oh, I think it's awesome. You know, <laughs> I really need it. But I really did. Mm-hmm. I needed that. I needed it to be rigorous. Mm-hmm.
0: Does that make sense? Mm hmm. Yeah. It all makes sense except for the your own evil desires part because it's like your own evil desires for what? Uh, to right. to get paid very little to help people for the rest of <laughs> to To just be a, a, a helping person. To be a hospice chaplain. For yeah. the rest of your entire right. life.
1: Grasping at power <laughs> yeah. by sitting at the
0: bedside of really sick and dying people. I know. Right. Right. <laughs> That's... Uh, insane desires, I would say, right. but, um, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not self-serving. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for saying that. Cause even now, you know, I have to go back and sort of, I don't believe that anymore, but right. there's still those young impressionable fears. And I remember the first time I preached so I was in seminary and I'd taken a preaching class and i was doing this internship at first presbyterian church in austin as a youth coordinator and i sucked at it like i learned really or like, good discernment i'm not a good youth minister so um, <laughs> but one of the things was i need mean, i was going to preach a couple times and so i remember preaching and it was a decent sermon it wasn't a great sermon but it was a decent for a you know first year of seminary student and i i preached in this presbyterian church and then i sat down and I had this irrational thought that somebody is now going to call for the execution mm. or for the firing squad. It was this visceral, this physical feeling of something really bad is going to happen to me now. Mm. But it didn't. Instead, people said, thank you very much, you know, <laughs> wonderful job. And, and so for the first few times I preached, I would have that experience. And, and then I thought, I've got to do a little bit of work around that because that's... Mm-hmm those those seeds were planted and watered very early and I've got to pull those out That's yeah. those are weeds that don't belong there
0: yeah and I have to think that maybe in you but definitely in others that the scars are still there right. you know even after you've done the work and come a long way it's just um, so damaging people think well I like the luncheons and I like the music and I like these other certain things and I don't want to be in leadership and my daughter doesn't want to be in leadership so it's okay for us to be a part of it because we don't have an interest in, right. in leadership and I don't think people realize how, the, how it still affects the young girls who are in those organizations. Definitely. So there are a few things that we can do to help break the cycle. One is that we can listen. We can listen to women. We can choose to listen first before speaking. We can choose to support women. There's been all kinds of studies done about women in leadership roles, not just in the church. But it's it's crazy. These these studies show that women in leadership roles by far are victims of character assassination so much more than the men in leadership roles. And the number is something crazy, it's unbelievable, it's like 90% or something like that. Another thing that we can do is that we can be really conscious, if we have, for example, just a natural sort of alpha male tendency, we can just be really conscious that that's our personality and also be conscious about willing to take a step back when there's a chance to do so. Because if we really believe that the Holy Spirit can call anyone if we actually really truly believe that the Holy Spirit is free to call whomever the Holy Spirit wants to call, then we have to stop blocking the work of the Holy Spirit because of gender. Amen. Speaking of blocking the Holy Spirit, I made a terrible mistake, I I kept reading a little bit more about what the Southern Baptist pastor said in that conversation where he told Beth Moore to go home. And I found out that he went on to say that women don't want equality because they don't want to be plumbers. (laughs) He said uh, they want to be senators and preachers and congressmen and president. They want power, he said. Not equality. Everybody's gonna die today. (laughs) After that Sunday, I got an email from one of the gay men who was there. And he said in his email that it was a very interesting experience for him because at the beginning of the sermon and he's always so engaged you know listening so so intently and he said at the beginning he was trying to listen about women in ministry mm-hmm. and that's what he was hearing and then partway through he started having different emotions that he didn't identify right away but he knew that his mood was changing And before he knew it, he was choking back tears. Mm. And it took him a little while, but he finally realized what the tears were about. And he said that some of the same kind of discrimination that he has experienced in the church as a gay man comes from the same place of hate. And the same place of using the scripture as a weapon. And he wasn't, he didn't even realize that that's how he was identifying with the sermon at first. But, but when he went home, he processed it and eventually sent the email. So I do think that, that all kinds of people listening to my experience and your experience, even if they're not women, can still identify.
1: And one of the things that really stood out to me about the, through the comment that the Southern Baptist minister made in regards to Beth Moore, um, but also sort of woven throughout your sermon was that the comment that he made was women just want power. They don't want equality. Mm -hmm. And then his example that you shared is because, you know, see more women becoming plumbers and I would challenge him on that. (laughs) I'm not sure that's true. Um, I just see more women doing all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that whole notion that you want something that I have Mm -hmm. and you're wrong to want it, but I'm not right? because I'm do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that same idea is present when we say, oh, we love gay people or we love women or we love and value people of color because see, they have this group that we support and they support us and but they can't have what we have. Mm -hmm. And if you dare even look in this direction, we're going to come at you Mm -hmm. because, and I think under, I guess underneath that is a lot of fear Mm -hmm. that I'm going to lose something. If I, uh, if the Holy spirit gives it to you, or if I share this with you that somehow I'll be diminished. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. And I think the whole, it, it was fascinating that the, the story of the, you know, the empty tomb and Jesus appearing to Jesus, that, uh, to Mary, that whole story is about the turning upside down of our ideas of power.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and yet we, we jump, it's like a bungee cord. We just, as humans, kind of go right back to those old structures.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that struck me. And I think that is so powerful, the, the man that emailed you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think that's the power of a sermon like this. It works on all these different levels. And we hear it at, in different parts of ourselves. Yeah. You know, whether we're women in ministry or a gay man or a questioning young person or a person of color. hmm Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: so true. Mm-hmm. He then went on to complain about a panel discussion that he was upset about. Because this panel that he heard about made a statement about how there should never be another translation committee working on translating the Bible without including, and I'm using his words right now, without including a Latino, an African American, and a woman. And he was really angry about that statement. And he said, oh, well, if it's a translation committee, uh, what do you think about maybe including people who know Hebrew and Greek or something like that? Well, I don't know if he knows this. Maybe no one should tell him. But Latinos and African-Americans and girls can learn Hebrew and Greek. But that's not even the point, because no one ever said, don't have anyone who knows Hebrew or Greek on a Bible translation committee. No one ever said that. That's not the point. The point is to invite people to the table who have not been invited before, because those are the people who will be able to address our blind spots. I'll give you an example that I read about in a Rachel Held Evans book. So here's the concept. Let's say that you have a committee and they're working on interpreting and translating the Bible. And they're talking about how the number 40 is repeated in the Bible well over a hundred times. And they're discussing, why is that number 40 significant? Well, the flood lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Deborah and some of the other judges served for 40 years. There were 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The list goes on. And if you read about what's been written in past committees about the number 40, Um, you will read about how the number 40 is not literal, but it's symbolically significant. And you'll read about how the number 40 is a symbolic way of saying that something lasted a very long time. You'll read about how in the Bible, 40 is used to describe a time of testing and trial. And that's all good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's pretend that my neighbor was on the committee. She doesn't know Hebrew or Greek, but what she does know a whole lot about is being a mom. She has four children. And I guarantee you that she would be able to tell you why that number 40 is significant, because guess how long she was pregnant with each of her four children. Forty weeks. Forty weeks is the gestational period of a human. It's how long it takes to birth something new into the world. It's symbolic, not literal. Forty weeks to birth a new person. To birth a new people. To birth a new understanding to birth a new world, to birth a new planet. So 40 for her is it's a very different angle that maybe no one else has thought of before because she has finally been invited to the table to share her perspective.
1: I will say that when you talked about the number 40, and mm. I cried. Um, I cried, mm. it's mm. like, yeah, how did we miss that all yeah. these years, you know? Mm-hmm. 40 weeks, of course, right. you know? And why was that missing from the conversation? Well, I guess because the people that live that experience mm-hmm. weren't at, at the table for yeah. those conversations. And that really highlighted for me how important it is that we have these different voices. What are we missing still? Right. Because we don't have all the voices at the table. Yeah. And I thought your, um, your call to, to listen, to support women or others who aren't visible, who aren't heard, um, to take a step back and make room, mm-hmm. to sit down. <laughs> Yeah. To not talk over, to not mm-hmm. explain things to people that may know in a different way or in a deeper way yeah. than we do. And I think that is good news. Mm-hmm. Um, let's realize that we're, we need each other. We're connected. Like it's, it's the whole face of God when everyone's at the table but there are parts of the body of Christ missing
0: right.
1: when we unintentionally or intentionally exclude. And that's a call to all of us. I mm-hmm. feel really convicted by that too. Who am I not seeing? Who am I not hearing? Who am I not inviting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what am I missing? Yeah. And then I also, Galatians 3.28, when I was 12, Me and the guys in my youth group were horsing around in the sanctuary and I ran up to the microphone because I saw my dad there every Sunday Mm -hmm. and I started just being silly and talking Mm -hmm. and the boys in the youth group said, "Uh uh-uh, girls can't talk in church Mm -hmm. and I'd never heard that. Nobody had ever said that to me. Wow. And I was like, that's not true. You know, we kind of had this little mini argument, but they were adamant and they were so united that I was really embarrassed. And so my dad was in his office preparing a sermon for the next day, probably. And I ran up into his office and I slammed the door and I threw myself into a chair in front of his desk. And I said, I hate Paul. (laughs) And my oldest brother's name is Paul. Mm, And so he assumed my oldest brother had done something yet again (laughs) to aggravate his little sister. And he said, what did he do this time? And I said, he said, girls can't talk in church. And he said... that Paul.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Paul is actually a person who is believed to have written many of the books in the New Testament, in the Bible, particularly some of the books that say something about what women should or shouldn't do.
1: (laughs) And so he listened, as I described, this humiliation that I had just suffered, and he said, Paul said those words to one particular church that were undergoing something we don't know what. Um, But here's what he said to all the churches. And then he quoted from Galatians 3.28. Mm. There is no male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, but Mm -hmm. we are all one. And he said that, because he wrote it to all the churches, holds more authority for us. Hmm. And and he said some of those things are true and some of them are becoming true, but that's what we need to live toward. And I really think that at that moment the seed was planted hmm. for me to do what I do today. Hmm. But had that moment not happened, I don't know.
0: I leave you with a vision for the journey in Galatians 3:28 which says There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Music for Passing the Peace is provided by two wonderful Austin musicians named Eric Garcia, Eric with an A, and Isaac Ruth. They do podcast music and other stuff too. You can reach them through email at booking at I-J-R-O-U-T-H music.com. That's it for the podcast today. Remember, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace, you can give us a review, and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. This is Amy Meyer coming to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. You can find us on our website at www.fpcelgin.org. That's First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations that we are having, and if you think these kinds of conversations are important, then we invite you to come and join us if you're in the area. Join in on those conversations. Until next time. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Now go and pass the peace to everyone you meet.